She's a real woman with a real life. She's someone you can relate to. Dawn Newton. Welcome to the Don Newton Podcast. I am your host, Don Newton. My guest today has been labeled Britain's most hated person. She's been labeled racist, anti-Muslim, anti-Black. She's been labeled a vile bigot. She's been accused of making a career out of her racist rants. She's known for being outspoken and has become a figure that is either hated with a passion or maybe kind of loved by people that share her same point of view. Her name is Katie Hopkins, and she happens to be here in the United States for a speaking tour. She also happens to be here during our corona pandemic, and uh, we're not sure if that speaking tour is actually going to take place. But I have seen Katie on our media outlets. I have seen her on Twitter. She's very active and has a huge following. And knowing that she's here in the United States, I thought I would reach out and ask to have a conversation with her. I've been very intrigued. I'm curious, who is Katie? Who is this woman? Naturally, me being me, I reached out and asked if she'd have an opportunity for an interview. And uh, she said yes. Katie Hopkins, I people love to hate you. People that have interviewed you have been really concerned about backlash and getting fired or people. And I'm like, yeah. I don't have a boss. I do my own thing. So I'm not worried about that at Bless all. As, as I said earlier, you're new to us here in the United States. Um, yes. Very well known in the UK, Australia, Europe. And I became familiar with you, seeing you on news, seeing you on Twitter, people retweeting your tweets. And then knowing that you're in the States, I'm curious about this woman and who she is and how she came to be the person she is. Or So I appreciate it. As I said, you taking the time during your schedule to talk to us. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. And actually, um, you know, I do believe as much as none of us would wish for this uh, virus to be around, I do believe things happen for a reason. So um, whenever something like this happens and then there's an opportunity or maybe like you're in touch saying, let's talk, I'll always say yes. And I just had an email from um, some of the BA British Airways crew who are currently stuck in New York, or at least they don't know when they're going home. And so they've asked to meet me tomorrow morning to walk in Central Park. So I'm doing that. So I think um, in these moments, we have opportunities to do things we would not have otherwise done. And that's why uh, sometimes you can still find a bit of a blessing when things seem a little stressful or unusual. Oh, absolutely. A crisis is always an opportunity, depending on if you want to make it a, a bigger crisis or if you want to, you know, go within, come together, really have some common sense conversations and really kind of regroup. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, the media doesn't seem to be following that trend at all. No, I think that's right. And I think, um, and I guess at some point we'll go back and explain who the heck I am before people are like, who is this random woman? But I, um, yeah, I, my my sense, um, sitting right back away from the drama of the thing, and of course, unfortunate and for elderly people and all of the terrible things and the loss of life, but stepping right back from it, um, you know, as a nation, as nations, sometimes I think we wander far away from what matters, what's important, what is the meaning of the word value, um, you know, what is uh, the thing that means the most to us. And sometimes when we wander far away from the truth of that, we have to be brought back to it. And this, after this is over, I think there will be a bit of a moment of reckoning about 
what really matters to us, how we feel about our elderly, what we want to do with our parents and, you know, what we want, what we want to protect and what doesn't matter so much like stuff um, and all the rest of it. So I think that I think people are absolutely questioning mainstream and what they're trying to do to us and in what way are they inflating a, a problem, making it worse. Um, lots of big questions that I think will take time to answer. But um yeah, in brief, I am known in the UK uh, for being outspoken and saying the things other people don't say, won't say, couldn't say anymore. And as such, I have become a figure that is either hated uh, with a passion that is vehement and venomous, or uh, I'm kind of loved by I guess, patriots or people that are kind of that share, I guess, some of my points of view. But however people feel about me, I absolutely accept that. And I'm absolutely accepting that if you put yourself out there, not everybody's going to like everything you say. And that's okay. Well, and people are really curious about who you are just doing the research before talking with you. I mean, yes, when they say people have opinions about you, I mean, Oh, my gosh. Uh, Far-right activist. I don't know if that's accurate. Far-right. Racist. Performative cruelty. Mm -hmm. Vile, vile, bigot. Hateful monster. Britain's most hated person. (laughs) No, Um, this is right. You're right. What you're saying is correct. You should keep going because it matters. Anti-Muslim. Anti-black. What else do you have? Britain's most hated person. Mm-hmm. You know, people say you've made a career out of your racist rants. And mm-hmm. um, is she controversial on purpose? Like, who is the real Katie? What we see you tweet and what we see you write and talking with you in interviews, is that's Katie. <laughs> not that yes. you're racist and not that you're anti-anything, but you do speak your mind. Yes, I, I am just me. And so... You know, so this is one of the funny things that happens off the back of being racist, bigot, homophobe, uh, what am I, Islamophobic, uh, hate preacher. Oh, abusive, uh, too. You know, Don't all forget the, that one. Yeah, biggest bitch in Britain, all of that. When people meet <laughs> me, they're like, oh, you're really little. And I'm, I'm not, like, super tiny. Like, I'm five foot eight. I'm kind of tall. But, but I'm kind of small. And people, because they have... Um, believed you to be a monster or or read all of this stuff, they think you must be like seven foot wide, seven foot tall and covered in like blue fur or something. (laughs) And when you're actually just this like little kind of woman, um, they're like, oh, hold on, she's really tiny and she wears a suit. So there's that side of it. The other side of it is that I am just like this mum with three kids and really normal, clean my own toilets and I hoover my own house and, you know, I'm super normal. Um, I eat anything, sleep anywhere. I'm the least fussy person I know. So all of those things make me then really normal and that's really hard to reconcile when, you know, the truth of this thing I think is uh, whether you you agree with me or disagree with me, and, and that's no problem, is and that the media needs to m- make you believe I'm a monster so that the things I say aren't real or true. And and that's really a challenge for people when they meet me. A lot of people then kind of like me because I guess I'm just me. And then they're like, oh, no, now I have to really think about what you've been saying because you're quite reasonable. So... So that's the truth of it, is it's easier to distance yourself from someone's opinions you might not like if you believe they're a monster. It's harder when they look just like you, sound just like you, and are probably a little bit funny, and you could have a, have a drink together and have a nice time. So, so that's really where I think that kind of explains a little bit behind the mystery of who the hell is Katie Hopkins. Well, and the thing that I was thinking, well, gosh, if they hate her so much, if she's such this horrible, horrible person and bigot, racist, all these things, they sure do love to give you a platform. <laughs> so 
going, hmm, interesting. <laughs> I know. It's been really annoying for them, and they have taken them all away. So I came from, no, well, I, I found my way by, by writing um, for various things for free. I eventually became the main writer for Med Online. I became the host of the uh, biggest radio show on LBC on a Sunday at London's new, uh, radio station on a Sunday. I, I became well-known, and, and of course, over time, as my opinions have remained fairly consistent, but I've not been um, reduced into approved thought and only saying what I'm allowed to say, Fox News. Um, I um, have had all of my platforms taken away, but one of the glorious things about uh, my supporters, my detractors even, um, and many people out there who even disagree with me, is that they continue to um, be part of the discussion because they see that there's healthiness in having other views out there and, and it, I always describe it to the left or to the liberals that want to shut me down that they are Frankenstein and I am their monster and, and because of them silencing me I somehow got louder and it, it is a it causes much chagrin to them um, but obviously it's a really it's a joyous thing for me that people still want to have a listen to stuff I have to say and I'm really grateful to to people for being so supportive. Is the Katie we see today the one we read on Twitter that we see speaking is that the same Katie when you first entered the media arena? <laughs> you know I uh I feel like I'm the same person. I think I've learned a lot. And, if, and I should probably explain. I was about to say, of course, but there's no of course. I should explain. I didn't mean to be known. I didn't have any interest in being known. I, I signed up. Um, I've always wanted to fight for my country. I signed up uh, to join the military. I went to the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst, which is kind of your West Point out here in America. I uh, passed my officer training and I signed a contract for 35 years with the Intelligence Corps and I had planned to be the first female general. That's how I saw myself. So that's actually what I thought I would do with my life. Um, as it turns out, I was also an epileptic and I used to have fits and those fits got worse and worse and I was medically discharged, much to my, uh, much to my enduring sadness, actually. It's my biggest uh, regret in my life is that I'm not in the military, but uh, it's meant that I guess I, I found my way to fight for my country in a different way and that ended up being in the media. And so I think behind this, I'm sitting here at a desk in a hotel on up on the west side, I think this person here is the same person that went to Sandhurst or knew that you could never be colder or more in more pain or have bigger blisters or need to keep going because the team needed to get there. That's the same person I am now, I think. And it's why actually, um, I guess it's, I've been able to endure despite the things that have happened to me because of me speaking out. Well, and you have... And you've said it, and like I said, in researching for our discussion and learning about Katie Hopkins, needing to be liked is not something you're striving for. No, no, and that's right. And I think that's something, you know, and I, I, at no point do I want to see myself as some weird lifestyle coach because really, <laughs> I think we can all accept that's never going to work out. But I do see how for young people, and actually uh, one of the joys of this, whatever this is that I do, is that I would say a significant, if not the majority of my audience, many of them can't show themselves because they would be persecuted, but our young people, when I had my radio show, which was a like a, 
a ladies' radio show on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock talking about politics and stuff. My biggest audience, bizarrely, was young people under the age of 18 listening to this lady talking politics because our young people have never felt so, you know, alone. They've never felt so um, completely isolated if they think differently to the group. And I guess that's where I come with this stuff about not needing to be liked. I, I don't look to be liked by people because of my opinions. I'm not trying to win um, people's likes for me or for them to like me as a person. I'm just saying what I think and um, trying to encourage people to and young people to to be more weird. Or if you are weird and you don't fit in, that's brilliant. And the, the best people I know always are the weirdest people. And I think it's a joy. And, and trying to g- give a little bit of that to young people to see that not fitting in is probably going to be your route to success in the longer term. Um, You know, that's kind of where I come from. So, yeah, being liked has never been the important thing for me. Just being honest and true to myself is what's able, been part of my being able to endure and to keep going and to have faith, I suppose, that it's going to be okay, even when, for example, you know, a couple of jihadis came to chop my head off. I know that the other side of that is, I am true to what I believe. And, and that kind of gives you faith at times that are a little dark. The polarizing comments, you're willing to stand behind them, discuss them, have a conversation about them. Yes. You're not just sitting behind a keyboard anonymously. No, no. You're front no. and center, unapologetically, yeah. which, yeah. you know, whether people appreciate or don't, I admire the fact that you're, you do that because people don't do that. They, they're not willing to have conversations today. No, I, I think you're right. I think... You know, I, I I struggle with, especially here, I think when I watch the network shows and you, you have these weird, um, and no disrespect to America, but, you know, CNN panels, there's like maybe eight people sat on like a long desk, like like as if they're waiting for a bus. <laughs> and, uh, and one by one, the presenter goes across and makes sure each one of them has been allowed to say their sentence so that they feel like they got their moment on the network TV show. None of them really are uh, associated with the sentence they say. That they're not sure what it means, but they know they want to get their one line in so they can retweet it later. And I wonder to what extent those are opinions that we need or should value. And so I guess I just spend my time, I'm much more like a gypsy. I'm sitting here looking around my room with my stuff exploded everywhere, <laughs> uh, how I normally live on the road. And, uh, and I just go out to the things that are happening. So I sleep in migrant camps. I have slept in, on Skid Row for a few days. I cross with migrants across the Med. Um, if there's something going on, I've slept on the white farms in South Africa for six weeks to understand what's going on there. I like to be amongst it, and then I like to talk about what I see and, and feel. And I think it's just a little bit more honest. And I, and I worry, actually, that, you know, because journalism changed so much, we lost that thing of reporters going and showing people stuff. And instead, we just got studio monkeys with their suits on or their flashy pink dresses uh, trying to get their moment on, on, on social media. And I think that's a real pity, actually. The difference between how the UK is handling COVID-19 and what you're seeing here in the States. Yeah, and and you're right. There is a real marked difference. And actually, that was a real physical difference for me as well, because I sort of lifted up out of the UK, not in a biblical way, but on a plane, (laughs) and I landed in uh, New York. and, And that moment was a really stark difference. So in the UK, it was kind of a little bit more 
keep calm and carry on. The schools are still going. People are still at work. Restaurants are still open. Shops, bars land here. And of course, it's New York in lockdown tomorrow. All restaurants shut. Broadway closes. The schools have gone. And um, so a little bit more dramatic shutting down over here. Um, I think maybe the shutdown will come politically in the UK, maybe out of pressure. But I think the the truth of it is uh, the idea of keeping things open, but asking people to isolate themselves a little. Social distancing is a great idea. But I do, my biggest sort of messaging to people is, you know, one, to give yourself a break from the noise. So, you know, maybe even 60 minutes where you say, right, I'm going to put my phone in a drawer. I promise myself I'm not going to touch it until this time and do 60 minutes of something you like, you know, have a shower, listen to music, go for a walk, whatever it is, tidy your closet, whatever. Just give yourself a little break from the noise. And then, you know, the second thing is just always ask yourself that little question about, what, did I need to know that stuff? Or why did I need to know that? So if someone's telling you some other, dark, oh, did you hear about the Italian obituaries pages being 20 pages long now? <laughs> Just think to yourself, did I care about the Italian obituary pages two weeks ago? Uh, no, I didn't. And no disrespect to the Italians. Love them all. Wish them all well. But just think, be, be your own filter about, do I need this information or is this person just sharing their panic with me um and let's try and be you know islands of our own calm a little bit so so a little bit of that going on but um i think you know in a bigger picture thing uh you know, for me, we just had an election in the UK that got Boris Johnson in. And when we parked the fear and the, the panic about um, uh, COVID-19, you know, I think one of the great things is that we are, there is a, a greatness uh, going on in Britain at the moment. Britain is in danger of becoming great again because people came out in December and voted for Boris, not because of their politics or whichever colour hat they might wear, red or blue, um, but because it was the right thing to do for Britain. Like, it was the right thing not to have a socialist in charge. And, and I don't need to bring politics into any of this, but there is an excitement about people coming out and voting for what they think is right. And really, they were voting to make Brexit happen and to respect the will of the people, even if they didn't vote for Brexit themselves. And that was a really great thing. You're here in the United States. Mm. You're here on a speaking tour. <laughs> what are you doing here? What's your point? <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing in my country? Yeah. So <laughs> the grand plan uh, is that, you know, so I am largely shut down in the UK in that I cannot speak uh, at a venue. No venue will have me speak. It will be shut down or it, the, the host of the venue would be pressurized to the point that they would shut down through violence and fear of having their uh, venue um, torched or something. I mean, it, that, that is where I'm at in the UK. So I come to the States to speak because I have the opportunity to still, and uh, I can't do this in my country anymore because I'm seen as extreme. So that's why I'm here. I came here for a speaking tour. I've just come back from Pittsburgh, and people turned out in Pittsburgh, which was fantastic. And then I'm due to be speaking uh, at the Republican New York <laughs> Young Republican Club on the 19th. 
Uh, I haven't had it cancelled yet, but I have a suspicion we may be headed that way. Um, I was. I have some stuff in studio on the 20th, and then on the 22nd, I'm at the Lincoln Dinner in Queens. I'm acting as if this is all going ahead because I haven't been told it's cancelled. So, um, but in in the interim, whether these events happen or not, of course I will update people on my Twitter. Uh, I would love it if people come if they're still these events are still going on. Um, but if they're not going on, then I will just be out and about telling stories or. You know, I've got my email address up there. If anybody needs anything or wants anything, wants me to come deliver stuff, I will be the very, my <laughs> very own Uber slash Deliveroo. I'll do whatever um, because I think the story is always, always on the sidewalk. So whether my speeches happen or not, I'm not so bothered. There is always a story somewhere and, um, and I just keep on telling it. But yes, I was here on a speaking tour until de Blasio shut down the city. Are you going to be on any media outlets? Are we going to see you maybe on The View, perhaps? Or? Oh, well, wouldn't that be a, wouldn't that be a marvel? <laughs> no, so I am on the Fox News ban list uh, at present. I, were, I, I hope one day I will come off of that, but that list is quite long at the moment. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping I might be able to get into studio with Hannity. This is all really, um, you know, from behind the scenes in media, people are just very anxious and nervous about their jobs. You know, we saw Judge Janine suspended. Uh, people are fearful. And so for someone who is as outspoken as me, producers are nervous that I might say something that's not approved of. And, and so that's really where we're at in terms of mainstream and my ability to be on it. Before I let you go, because I've kept you a bit. No, you're good. Um, people say you're racist. Do you consider yourself a racist? So I guess I can't argue back on those labels, and it's futile to try to, because I could say, well, no, I'm not. And people say, yes, you are. It just turns into a panto. So I think what I prefer is to say, okay, I will take those labels, right? So you call me fattest, say that I'm against fat people. Okay, you'll say I'm a racist. Fine, I'll wear that label. Now you want to say I'm an Islamophobe. Okay, I'll take that. Now you'll say I'm this. Okay, I'll wear all those labels, right? I've got them all on. Okay, now have a listen to some of my opinions and then see what you think of the opinions. Tell me why, why my opinions are wrong or tell me why um, my views you disagree with. And, and we can have that conversation. So let, as an example, and this is where this Islamophobic thing comes. In my country, by 2035, birth to Muslims outnumber birth to all others. By 2045... I'm a minority in my own country. I'm already a minority because I'm a white, loosely a Christian. I'm a minority in London, in Luton, in Birmingham, in Bradford, in Newcastle. This list goes on and on. I don't want to bore your listeners with names of cities, half of which they've never heard of. But my point is, I am outnumbered, and increasingly so, and by pure math alone my country is going to fall. My country will fall to Islam. My country is going to be taken over. My Jewish friends are leaving for Israel. My Christian friends are looking towards Poland and Hungary. Now, I can state that as factually as I just have, and I will be called an Islamophobe. And all I can say is that as a mother with daughters and a son, I don't see a future for them in my own country. I'm not allowed to speak out about it. I've been arrested for speaking out about it. I've had my jobs taken, my home taken. They've come for my head. But at some point, history will show that I'm on the side of the right. Uh, I don't mean political rights. I mean, history will show this to have been true. 
And so that's why I spend a lot of the time on the road is that I'm not here to kind of spout off about anything. I don't actually care about my own self anymore. I know that for America, I don't want America to fall as we have fallen. Um, and I think this will pr all prove itself to be true. I'm sorry that history will prove this to be true. But for those reasons and that, that pure topic there alone, I'm called an Islamophobe. I don't think it makes me phobic of a religion to call out the fact that I'm very good, much going to miss my country and I don't want my children to grow up under Islam. And that's just where that's at. So that would be an example of where the label gets put on, but the facts are kind of speaking for themselves, but you can't say them in my country anymore. Um, so, th so that's that. But, you know, I do, I do carry along and I will continue onwards. And actually, uh, as I continue onwards after this, whatever it is, 15 years or so of taking a good battering, um, you know, the support base that I have continues to grow. And I, and I, I have to, I guess, reiterate at the end of our, our chat here that I'm just very grateful to people that support me. And, it, and if you do want to see what I'm saying, disagree or agree, uh, I'm at capital K, capital T, Hopkins, KT Hopkins on Twitter. And uh, I'm grateful to Twitter, actually, for keeping my Twitter feed up when, as you can imagine, there are a great number of people who would like it taken down. Well, and also, Katie, in, in all of the, like I said, in preparing for our chat and learning more about you, you are very, very um, clear about and true to that you do want people being held accountable for their actions, which that's something that we don't we don't do that today. Parents don't do that with their kids. The media mm. doesn't do it amongst themselves. Fiduciary responsibility doesn't seem mm. to be something we want to talk about. But you really want that happening, as do I, and I think most people do. But you also want people to succeed. You want people oh, yeah. to be better and to be confident. And to be, um, you know, I believe people have strength they don't know they have. I, I honestly... I know that's true. And when people say to me, oh, you know, maybe they, they say brave. Brave is a terribly overused word, I know. But I, I do go marching on into majority <laughs> Pakistani protests and politely request that they don't destroy the Indian embassy. You know, I kind of front up to mobs, gangs. I'm not afraid I've been to no-go Sweden. I'm back there in a few weeks' time. I, I am in the face of this stuff. And, and people say about brave, and, and I know people are stronger than they know. Um, as an example, you know, uh, uh, people think I'm fattest. I don't like fat people. Not true at all. I know people are so much more powerful when they feel good about themselves. And I want women and men to feel good about themselves. And if that means you've gone for a walk today, even for five minutes, and it's five minutes more than you did yesterday, I want you to feel good about yourself. And I want you to feel good about your children and strong in yourself because that's the way we win. And even if we're even if you're a massive Bernie Saunders fan, I want you to feel good about yourself. And, and that's part of this. So, yeah, I'm all I'm kind of big into this kind of feeling of uplift and trying to be there to make people feel stronger about themselves and not to belittle people, make people feel weaker or to attack people or try and take things from them. I think that's headed in the opposite direction than which any of us would want. Well, Katie Hopkins, it's been awesome speaking with you and oh, I appreciate thank you. this. And just going to keep an eye on you and keep watching you and um, welcome to the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you very much indeed. I wish all your listeners well. Uh, and, uh, and thank you very much for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to the Don Newton podcast. And I'd also like to give a big thank you to my special guest, Katie Hopkins. Katie Hopkins is currently here in the United States for a speaking tour. She also happens to be away from her home and family during the uh, corona pandemic. So wishing her safe travels back to the UK when that time comes. If you would like to interact with Katie, follow her, learn more about her. She's very active on Twitter and she can be found at KT Hopkins on Twitter. And that is the letter K, letter T, Hopkins on Twitter. For more information about me, you can visit my website, which is donnewton.org. The Don Newton Podcast is written, produced, and hosted by Don Newton. Don't